very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mal Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And if you wish to listen to the entire interview that we're discussing tonight, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You'll have access to hundreds and hundreds of hours of truth. And if you want to upgrade your life, literally, because he has for me, go to sanitasradio.com and sample there. I guarantee it will make a difference just like it has for me. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, or have a guest suggestion or a comment, I'd love to hear from you. Just click on the contact button of our website. Just about everyone thinks that the human race is in some sort of trouble. What kind depends on your point of view. Environmentalists focus on the damage we're doing to the planet. Bible fundamentalists believe that Armageddon is close and that famine, plague, and war will soon destroy the majority of humanity. The political left or right believes that their opposition is taking us on a path to disaster. Others believe that we are about to undergo a quantum evolutionary leap a spiritual awakening that will compel us to re-examine our place in the universe and to rediscover who we really are. And to tell us more, after her initial surprise at being contacted by extraterrestrials for more than three decades of contact experiences, Lisette Larkins, our special guest, has been implementing her ET Mentors Council. As a result, she lives a dream life in Malibu, California, training at CrossFit, volunteering with her therapy dog Kelly, writing new books, speaking and lecturing on abundance creation, creating new projects, and enjoying a life filled with laughter, abundance, and joy. The set says that we are designed to be creative beings. When we are not in the process of creating, we are actually spiraling downward. But we cannot create what we want when we are not feeling good. Her website is lisettlarkins.com, which is also linked at ours. And directly from Malibu, California, I'd like to welcome this set, Larkins. And directly from beautiful Malibu, California, I'd like to welcome this set, Larkins. Hello, Lisette, and welcome back. How are you? Thank you for having me again. Is this fun or what? It is very fun. First, Lisette, let me thank you for coming back to one of our radio programs. We conducted an excellent interview on Sanitas, our sister radio program, about difficult people being a gateway to enlightenment. So I recommend our Veritas listeners to listen to it as well. Of course, we didn't discuss the ET experience there, 
And that's why you have kindly accepted a second interview to discuss just that tonight. Let's begin in chronological order. What were the circumstances under which you first began to have ET contact? The first experience was when I was a child, at about seven years old. And I didn't retain a lot of the memory. There was a lot of amnesia that went with that for a lot of reasons, for a lot of very good reasons, uh, which I can explain in a little bit. But many people have had experiences as a child, and they just remember one thing about it. They just maybe just one little snippet of memory, and that's it. And the reason is because we're not supposed to remember everything because we're here trying to, we're trying to kind of exist as a human being. And when we get too much information early on as a child, when we can't handle it, about the true nature of ourselves with respect to our place in the universe, it can be overwhelming, particularly as a child when we may run and ask our parents about it, and they may just think we've you know, lost our marbles. So my first experience was when I was about seven. It was, it was short, and, but it was memorable insofar as it kind of caused me to mm, go inside myself a little bit more. I just remember, you know, looking into the sky more and, and being a little more thoughtful than I might ordinarily have been. And then I kind of forgot all about it. Fast forward, you know, another 23 years or so, 20 to 30 years, and now I'm a new mother with a child, and my life is kind of in chaos, frankly. I'm in a difficult marriage. I really, you know, I'm struggling with being a new mother. I'm struggling in my place of employment. I'm struggling financially. I've got issues <laughs> that I'm trying to solve. And like many people, you know, in those days, you didn't necessarily get on the Internet to try to solve your problems. Um, I was kind of talking out loud to the sky, or some people call that prayer. I was not a religious person. I, I'm not still, I'm not a religious person, although I was raised as a Catholic person. And I would say that I do believe in a, you know, a higher power or a divine source. And so during that time of my life, when I was in deep chaos in my worldly life, I overnight started to have encounter experiences, and it was constant. It was several times a week, and only when my then-husband was away, when he was out of town or when he was you know, gone for the night. And so that also led me to believe that maybe there was something going on with my mental perspective. And so that started me on the journey. I didn't really know I was having these extraterrestrial contact experiences when I first started having them. The reason for that is because there's just a bombardment of phenomena, meaning bright lights and bright sounds and the tunnel effect and all this stuff going on. And it, it, it also changed my days, meaning the phenomena happened at night in my bed when I was awake. And there would be this onslaught of noise bright lights, blinding bright lights, electromagnetic zapping, and then I would feel myself start to fall asleep. So I could never quite figure out what was going on, and then I'm falling asleep. And why am I falling asleep when I'm terrified? It, the two didn't really seem to go together. And then I would wake up in the morning, and everything seemed to be back to normal, with a few exceptions. One, every electronic you know, appliance in the house, and some just electric appliances, would malfunction. 
And two, um, you know, clocks would stop, toasters would act up, things like that. But also, things were happening internally to myself, meaning I started developing second sight, meaning I could started to see behind the veil. I started seeing evidence of beings who had actually died and were now spirits. So I started to be able to see the spirit world. Overnight, by the way, I had no preparation for this. And I started to immediately experience telepathy where I could hear what somebody was thinking. And it was, it was startling and frightening. I, I was not amused. I was not, um, you know, charmed. I was just afraid. And the reason why I was afraid is because, well, in those years, I was a fearful person anyway. You know, like, like many people, I found my life seeming to be falling apart. And so naturally, I was afraid. What's going to happen to me? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to raise my child? How am I going to do a college fund? How, you know, how, how, how? And I was frightened. So naturally, when something started happening to me that I didn't understand, that seemed to be bigger than myself, that it was not a problem that I could readily discuss with anyone, least of all my, my then husband, who already was having kind of problems with the way that I perceived the world, uh, there was no safe place. So that kind of redoubled my conundrum because it wasn't something that I was going to seek counseling for. So I went through this for uh, years. Did you think you were going crazy and did you seek psychiatric help? Yes, because naturally, given that we did not share a deep sense of ourselves with each other, you know, if I'm secreting an important aspect of my life, it's not drawing me closer to my marriage, right? So if I'm secreting that, I'm feeling by that, I'm feeling now isolated. So it affected our relationship. It affected every aspect of our relationship, the least of which was sexually. Our emotional relationship, now we were becoming kind of misaligned. So the greater, the more problems we had, yes, of course, we started to discuss maybe we should get some counseling. And the truth was, you know, my, my husband, like, like many partners, say maybe you should get some counseling. And that kind of became the kind of the the symbol of our marriage that maybe I should go fix myself until finally, as my contact experiences increased, meaning I was now adding exhaustion to the the mix because when the experiences happened at night and then the experience ended, I could not then go back to sleep. And I was a working person and I had a newborn. So you can imagine the stress and strain of not sleeping and yet caring for a baby and getting to work on time. So I started to really wonder if I was losing it, and he wondered if I was losing it, and finally said, you're going to have to go get therapy. And finally, it just got so bad that he said, get in the car. I'm taking you to get some help. I didn't really realize that that help meant, by the way, it was the middle of the night, that that help meant driving me to the doors of a psychiatric hospital. Hmm. And I went in willingly through those doors, you know, at one o'clock in the morning and said, yeah, I'm, I've got problems. My marriage sucks. You know, my finances are a disaster. I'm clearly depressed. Uh, coincidentally, you know, my boss was sexually harassing me at work. There was just no area in my life that wasn't troubled. So I walked through those doors saying, yeah, you know, somebody help me. 
And, you know, what I didn't know is once you willingly walk into a psychiatric hospital, you don't just walk back out. It doesn't work that way. And, the, you know, the doors literally locked behind me, and my, my ID and my wallet were taken from me, and I couldn't get out. <laughs> like prison. Yeah, it, it really is like prison. And so there I am. There I was. There I am. And the next day I was served by a uniformed um, policeman. I was served with divorce papers in, while I was in the psychiatric hospital. And I was served with papers that said that my then-husband had gone to court and gotten custody of my son by saying, look, my wife is in a psychiatric hospital, so you're going to have to grant me custody. And he was granted at least temporary custody pending a hearing. And the hearing was for three weeks. And so I spent the next three weeks figuring out how can I get out to go to my own hearing. And they said, you know, you, we can't let you out. We, we've heard from your husband that you're pretty much a basket case, that you're claiming to be seeing things that other people don't see. And keep in mind, at that point, I wasn't necessarily seeing little gray aliens, but I was seeing things like explosions of fireworks in my bedroom. I was seeing um, electromagnetic uh, zapping, you know, the, the flashes of electromagnetic charge. I was feeling like I was being electrocuted. I was sensing uh, loud sounds as though a freight train were going through the bedroom. So clearly, people didn't perceive of me as normal. And the doctors kind of took me under um, supervision and said, okay, Let's find out what's wrong with you. I remember I didn't really know what was up. Um, one person that I knew at the time before I went in there had said, you know, you're probably just, um, you know, you've been, you're possessed by an evil spirit. Uh, you, maybe you need an exorcism. Maybe you, there's a poltergeist in your house. Well, that sounded relatively reasonable to me. I mean, what else could it be? So there I was, and as my child custody hearing date loomed ahead, I realized that if I did not get out, I would never gain custody back. Because if I was a no-show, then I, you know, I wouldn't even have a chance to fight for my case. So I didn't know what to do. And um, the doctors wouldn't let me out. And I, I couldn't escape because I don't know what they are these days, but in those days, especially if you had a a custody hearing coming up, you had to be let out with medical permission. You didn't want to be AMA, meaning against medical advice. Right. So you needed some psychiatrist to sign on the form saying, this is a reasonable woman who should deserve to get custody of her child back. I couldn't, like, you know, hit somebody over the head and make a dash for the door because then that guy, <laughs> you know, signed me out as a sane woman and I'll never get custody back. So these, this was the, you know, I now I had a worldly conundrum, and the, the, the paranormal phenomena took a back seat to just how am I going to get the hell out of here? But interestingly enough, I had another encounter experience while I was in there, during which I, you know, this is spelled out in more detail in the book. We're kind of moving really quickly, but during which I understood the nature of struggles and problems that in the problem really can be the kernel to our salvation, can be the, the answer to our prayer. And as difficult as it was, me, meaning me locked in a psychiatric hospital with a husband who's trying to get custody of our child, 
I didn't realize that the, the, the answer to the whole problem was right in front of me, meaning all, if I just had a little, if I could experience just a little bit more abuse, the answer would be provided me. And I did, and I, and I, 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 I was. So what happened was one of the orderlies one night came in my room. This is soon, just soon before my custody hearing. I was almost getting to the point where I would resign that I was going to lose custody and that I may never get out of that damn place. And one of the order, male orderlies came in in the middle of the night, stuck in my room, and started to grope me. You know, picture me. I'm, in suicide, I'm an SP ward, meaning suicide prevention ward, right? And that's where they don't even let you bathe without supervision because you can't be trusted to eat the soap to try to kill yourself. Or as one of, my, uh, one of the women did on my same floor, she took a piece of clothing and stuffed it down her throat in order to kill herself. So she suffocated herself. Uh-huh. In SP ward, you are closely monitored. So I'm in SP ward, right? And I'm trying to figure out how to get out. And now I'm having this encounter experience in the middle of the night. And I am being kind of mentored to know that in adversity, we can find our own solution. And that's when the very next thing that happened was this orderly comes in and starts groping me. And I, as I'm being groped, at first I'm totally traumatized because there I am lying in a hospital bed wondering, frankly, how can I kill myself? You know, my son would probably be better off without me. How can I get the hell out of here one way or another? And now there's a man who's groping me. You know, he's sticking his fingers where he shouldn't be doing that. And I'm too weak and numb to do anything. And in this moment of being groped, I realized he was my angel. This man was sent like an angel to me to molest me because what do you think I did? The very next morning, I went marching into the director. I demanded to see the director of the hospital and said, your orderly molested me in the middle of the night. Now, keep in mind, I had had meetings with him before saying, please sign me out. I got a child custody hearing. I'm going to lose custody of my child if you don't sign me out. I beg of you, where's the indication that I'm an evil or dangerous person? You, you have nothing on me. Why don't you just sign me out? And for all the reasons of business medicine, you know, they didn't just want to give up on one of their patients and one of their billables, and they wouldn't. So I had been to see him before. He wouldn't sign me out. He said, well, you know, give us another few weeks or months. And I'm like, I don't have a few more weeks. So now I'm back at his office saying, yes, it's me again. Sign the form. Well, we can't do that. And I said, your guy, and I gave him his name, molested me in the middle of the night, groped me. That is like, I don't know what that is, a misdemeanor, a felony. I said, this whole place could be shut down. Now, this was way back in 1989, right? But even then... No surveillance cameras? There were no surveillance cameras, no. But still, still, I knew enough to know that, you know, and I threatened him. I said, I will go to the L.A. Times and do an expose that will make your head spin. Not only will this place be shut down, but I will hold you personally responsible if you do not let me out and he comes back and molests me again for a second night. So... I now blackmailed him in so many words. I said, I showed up, I gave him the form. I said, sign me the hell out of here. 
and and he did. That's the only way I got out of there was to be to have something you know to barter with to say. And of course, he didn't believe me. He said, "Stop making up stories." Your husband says you're seeing things, and now you're saying you're seeing things here. You, you know, you're, you, call, you keep saying you're seeing and hearing things, and now you've just heard one more imagination. Some guy you're thinking is molesting you. So, of course, he just immediately denied my reality, which is what encounter phenomena is all about. Right. It's having mm-hmm. the whole world deny your reality, right? It's enough to drive anybody over a cliff. So I said, you know what? You don't have to believe me, but I bet you somebody at the L.A. Times is going to believe me. And I also bet you that I'm not the only one that this guy's molested, right? There's got to be a whole slew of people. And I bet you there's even some that you know about in your files. So he signed me out. I walked out the doors, and I showed up at my custody hearing. And and then I ultimately uh, got my son back. So now I'm back with my life. I got my son back. You know, I had to do the whole thing, start from nothing. I had no money, no car. That was before cell phones. Um, nothing, no place to live, uh, no job. And I had my, but I had my child. That's all I cared about. I got my child. I had the clothes that I was wearing that I wore into the psychiatric hospital with. I had those clothes on, and now I was, there I was. So what, how old was I? I don't know, 30 or something like that, 30 maybe 32 or 33. And I had my son back, and that's all that mattered. And, you know, I'd long since forgotten <laughs> in all this chaos, you know, about trying to figure out what this thing, other thing was in the middle of the night. I just was like, okay, I need a job. So uh, my sister took me in, and, uh, you know, I tried to get a job, and I ultimately got a job, and then I had to get a car, and somebody loaned me a car. You know, so I started that whole thing. And two years went by, meaning, you know, I was starting to get paid little paychecks and uh, get my son in school, and I'm doing all the stuff that we do in our life, in our world, the worldly stuff. Two whole years go by, and I swear to you, it was as though one day or one night or I was musing over, you know, a piece of pie or something saying, oh, yeah, whatever. Now, you know, what was that whole thing? I just kind of had written it off to stress. I was almost willing to consider that maybe I was nuts. Maybe I was just nuts and stress. And so I was kind of willing to know at that point because I'd healed a little bit emotionally. And so I was willing to know. And I thought, you know, here I am. I live in L.A. Half the population is probably on some kind of medication if that was some kind of a schizophrenic reaction, I can, you know, I can take a pill for my mild schizophrenia if that's what it requires. If, you know, if that whole nightmare comes back again, because during that time, nothing else had happened. The time when I got out of the psychiatric hospital and now I'm rebuilding my life. I was busy rebuilding my life. It was kind of all quiet on the Western Front. Are you still with me, Mel? I'm still with you. I was going to ask you because wasn't there a hiatus this happened to you when you were a child, then it stopped, and it came back decades later? Yes, it does that. There's, there's benchmark dates and times, and it all has to do with what's personal for the soul. What the soul and we'll get into that later. It's, it's all about what the soul is wanting to work on in conjunction with our master teachers. You know, so we can't say like some 
ufologists do. Oh, you know, if you have an alien encounters, they're going to happen at 2 and they're going to happen at 50. It's not like that. It's all personal to the person's growth cycle. So for me, yes, there was this long kind of a span of no contact, and then it starts up again. So as soon as I had that thought like, hey, what was that? It must have started that, like, that very night. It was uncanny. The minute I had the freedom of kind of the freedom of thought to muse, to say, hey, what was that? Almost like I was crossing from terror. I had crossed into curiosity. It started again. And it started again with a vengeance. But this time I had decided now, rather than secret my experiences and isolate myself, I got into therapy, good therapy. I found this wonderful therapist in uh, Westlake, California, and I started going to therapy. And my insurance didn't cover it, so I paid, you know, I mean, I used a good portion of my income just to get the best therapist I could find. And what did the therapist say at first? He, interestingly enough... His training was he also understood spiritual experiences from an historical perspective. Now, this is deep because no matter what one's religion is, all religions have as part of their spiritual tradition beings, souls, prophets, people who were inspired through extraordinary paranormal events, right? It's in all of our ancient spiritual teachings, whether it's Moses here or Joan of Arc there or whoever it is, we have is our kind of our spiritual lineage. All religions have people who have become inspired by extraordinary spiritual and paranormal events. Now, I'm throwing in the word spiritual because in my case, I didn't understand that it was a spiritual experience. I just knew that it was scary and it was weird and it was paranormal. But my point is that this therapist had done his undergraduate work in theology, which is was so amazing because when you're studying theology, of course, you're studying all the world's religions. And when you do that, that's exactly what you one would learn, I would think, is that there are these, you know, throughout history, there are people who've experienced extraordinary experiences, whether, you know, it's Thomas Aquinas or like we were going, you know, giving all these other examples, and it profoundly has impacted their life and sometimes in the positive. So here's this therapist with this background understanding that just because somebody has an extraordinary paranormal event, it does not necessarily mean that they're nuts. However, because he's a responsible therapist, I did submit willingly to a period of not one, not two, not three, not four, but not even five, but six years of intensive psychotherapy. So I was basically analyzed for six years, both in individual and group therapy environment by a team, not one, but a team of clinicians. So in an individual and a group setting, I submitted to analysis because I wanted to know. And most importantly, I wanted to know because I didn't want my son to be raised by a crazy person. So that was my real, my real motivation was... So you, know, you, I, you, regression? Was regression part of the therapy? Uh, I 
not with this person. He was not a hypnotherapist, no. But I did go to another person who was a hypnotherapist, and I did start to get little snippets of things. Um, but hypnotherapy, um, it all depends on what the person is ready to know. So there can be some really, really, really wonderful hypnotherapists, and they will even tell you not everybody can be deeply hypnotized and, and it's not everybody is able to gain and glean all information that is available to the psyche if the person is blocked. Now, in my current understanding of the way things work, it's not just that we block it ourselves from our you know, subconscious, it's that our spiritual guides block it because we may not yet be ready to have something uncovered for, for reasons that we're attempting to develop some aspect of ourselves. So while I was in this therapy, I was doing all these different explorations. And also, the experiences started up again, and I'm seeing, you know, little gray men, as it were. I, I actually started to stop falling asleep during my paranormal experiences in which my eyes remained open during the phenomena. During, you know, I would have this sense of, normally the phenomena would descend on me, my eyes would close involuntarily, and I would feel my body move. And I'm like, what on earth is happening? I didn't know because my eyes were closed. But now my eyes opened and I saw my body floating through the air and moving and now my body is interacting. I'm seeing myself near these little four-foot-tall gray alien beings, the typical, you know, inverted pear-shaped heads with the large black eyes. So what the heck is going on, right? I had no, no you know, notes on this. There was no, nothing supplied me. I just had to kind of say, what the heck is going on? And so in the, in the midst of my my clinical evaluation and I'm taking tests you know I'm submitting to MMPIs and all this other stuff I'm trying to sort it all out and you know it took courage obviously because you have in, in those you know I had to be willing to consider that maybe I did need medication or psychotropic drugs um, and what I determined and was determined on my behalf, and I was, in fact, my, the clinician did end up contributing to my book, Talking to Extraterrestrials. He wrote an uh, appendix basically speaking to this phenomena of r- seemingly normal people having extraordinary experiences. And yes, it can turn your one's life upside down, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're crazy. And conversely, yes, of course there are crazy people who are really crazy, who see little gray men, and then they go out and shoot the president. So, you know, it's, it's all, it just depends on a lot of different factors. So um, I eventually, after six years, was given this kind of stamp of approval, and I was told that my mind is as solid as a rock. And I went forward with more confidence knowing that, you know, just by virtue of me being my son's mother... He wasn't being harmed by me any more than the normal blunderhead mistakes we all make as young parents. Um, But there I was now living my life and wanting now to really get down to what is going on with my nights. 
And, and, and that I was very you know, impressive. I don't mean to interrupt, interrupt you, but that's very impressive that you get the quote-unquote seal of approval because as somebody who's becoming elderly and they realize, you know, I'm, I'm getting Alzheimer's, I need to know when I'm the owner still of my faculties. You wanted to know if you were the owner of your own faculties when you were young and you got that seal of approval. But how did you have a recollection? Because so many people have their memories blocked. I, I didn't, I, it wasn't necessary. You do, one doesn't need to get, you know, we can go forward from this point on. I know people have the memories blocked. And you, some people could spend the next 10 years in hypnosis and never get their memories unblocked. And there's a, usually a very good reason for it. It's not their own subconscious blocking. It's usually from their guide, their team. You know, it's almost like I was t- talking to you about having a worldly team of clinicians who evaluated me. Well, imagine each of us, we have a, a spiritual team of advisors who work with us and our progress is their responsibility so you know they oversee us and when we are attempting to look behind the veil it's always at the discretion of our spiritual advisors it's kind of like if you can imagine when we have children you know when we have two three four five-year-old children we don't expose them to pornography now, this is kind of a weird analogy, but bear with me. We, we we protect them because they couldn't handle it. It wouldn't make sense to them. We can't explain it to them. We also don't expose them to violence, right? Well, when we are going through some of the most profound and enormous life-changing events, and usually those events are precisely tests for us, that when we're going through those, our natural reaction is we want to know all the ifs, ands, or buts about that experience, right? But it's because we don't recognize that if we could know everything about it in an instant, we're basically allowed being allowed to cheat. And it doesn't seem possible or, 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 or it doesn't seem fair, if you will, but what we do is we have to go forward with what we have. So if somebody has had, they know, a, a whole series of paranormal experiences and they want, to, they want to get to the bottom of them, there's often very good reasons why you can't. And those are what I want to talk about because I don't know, would you say that a majority of people listening to this show have had some kind of experience, would you say? I'm not sure if the majority, but if, if they don't know it, they suspect it, that's one thing. But let me just mention this, too. With your story of losing your job, losing your marriage, this is something that I hear again and again and again. It happens to the majority, not to all of them, but the majority of the people that I've interviewed. One comes to mind, Kim Carlsberg. I don't know if you know who Kim Carlsberg is. She has a, a, an incredible story as well. And she was one of the creators of the TV series Baywatch. You may remember that. Uh-huh. She was one of the designers, and and uh, when this was happening is when the show was at its peak. And imagine showing up at the set hours after you were abducted. Uh-huh. She couldn't be herself, and to the point that basically she was ejected. The the her partner, who was her boyfriend at the time, found a legal way to kick her out of the contract. So she was literally on the street. She lost yeah. every right to that show. So it happens to so many people. Yeah. Yeah. 
And my heart goes out to people who are going through those life, life transformations, but the truth and the reality of it is that those events are usually pre-planned to bring us to a certain place in our understanding. As traumatizing as they are, I don't know if you've talked to this individual um, lately, but in hindsight, does she say, thank God that happened because it sent me in a new direction without which I would have not accomplished what I needed to accomplish in my life? Have you talked to her recently? I haven't talked to her recently, but I know her very well to know that her life was never the same. It was very difficult for her to, to, you know, be back in the in Hollywood, if you will, uh, people become blackmarked for some reason because this is not an accepted reality for many. You were very lucky to have found somebody who with a theology, uh, theology background who more or less understood that this could be a spiritual experience you're having. But, you know, let's start talking about the experiences per se. I have lots of questions here, and I want to dig as deep as we possibly can within the time frame that we have. When you say we've had an offer we can't refuse and that it's from our neighbors the ones who live off planet who see what's happening on a global level what do you mean you know it's about us in my opinion people want to know you know what is the meaning of it all and the truth of the matter is all extraterrestrial encounter experiences those serve the same thing that all well, almost, you could say, almost any traumatic experience serves is because it brings us to the core of ourselves. It almost really doesn't have to be extraterrestrials. It can be anything that brings us to the core of ourselves, meaning it brings us to, it forces us into a corner so that we can see ourselves as the immortal beings that we are. Because for many, many people who are having these experiences, they may not realize that, uh, particularly people who say that they've been, they've had negative or abduction experiences, many people are, you know, there are also people who were living, say, concurrent lifetimes. One person as a human, while simultaneously they're living in another dimensional experience, either as a, what we would call an ET, or any other unlimited number of lifetimes and there can be a bleed through whether in our dreams or in our experiences or in our consciousness and we can experience the trauma that we are having in that current lifetime while we're in this lifetime and sometimes we misunderstand it as believing that the experience is actually being had in this realm when it's really in that realm so for example let's say I am robbed by a red-headed six-foot-five male on the planet, you know, kryptonite, and I'm living a concurrent life. And I shall start out by saying, this happens. We are sometimes living concurrent lives, but more importantly, we've also, all of us, unless it's our very first incarnation, we've all had previous lifetimes. And those also bleed through our experience. So back to my example. Supposing I'm living this lifetime, and I'm now robbed, did I say robbed, by a redhead male who's six foot five on the planet of whatever it was, either in another life, or rather in a previous lifetime, 
or in a concurrent lifetime. And that experience bleeds through. Now I perceive all red-headed males who are six foot five, and I tell people those people are murderers or abductors. They, he abducted me. And I equate, I would equate the way he looks with who he is. And that's you become, with, you become prejudiced. Yeah. Hey. And that's what's happening with the abduction phenomena. You know, people are saying the great aliens are the evil ones and the nice ones are the Pleiadians. Well, it's too simplistic. It doesn't, it's just way too simplistic, you know. And so there's, there's so many other explanations because it's such a wondrous, wondrous process of each of our souls moving through different incarnations in order to progress in our growth. And the couple of things that we keep forgetting is that we have a voice, we have a hand in deciding what those experiences are going to be. But then we deny that we do. And speaking of those experiences, I always mention that the main motivator for creating this program is the, the primordial questions. Who are we? Where do we come from? Why are we here? Etc. Did you get answers to these questions? I did. I did. And you know when you first started out your show today with me and you introduced me and you said that I'm living a life of my dreams? Mm -hmm. I almost flinched when I heard that because it sounds as though in that introduction that was prepared by whoever, not you, it was prepared by me or my publicist or somebody edited by who, whomever, it suggests that I'm living the life of my dreams because I'm living in a nice community. But that's not the truth. The truth is that I'm now living a life of my dreams because my perspective has shifted. And that's the only reason. My perspective has broadened. You know, with, with a perspective of what is really happening, it makes all the difference. And I, I'm going to tell you something. You may not believe it. But you could incarcerate me right now. You could put me back in that psychiatric hospital. And I would see that experience much, much differently. I, I would approach it and I would experience it much, much differently. It doesn't mean that I might not try to get out. You know, I'm not just, I'm not, I haven't turned into a, you know, a victim. But you could put me anywhere in the world right now a less beautiful environment than being, you know, on the seaside. And with a broadened perspective as to what we are doing and who we are and the nature of the universe and the nature of us as beings and what happens in the interlife after we die, all of that, you know, at every, every waking moment at this point in my life, I can tell you that I am aware that my interpretations are being and will be evaluated. All my interpretations will be evaluated. So I'm trying to live as cleanly as I can because I have a broadened perspective and I understand what sets up my next experience. I understand that my worst experience, for example, what I might have called my, the worst experience of my lifetime, this lifetime, which was going through that hell with my then husband, now I understand that we agreed to come together. There was something that I had to learn from him. It's not necessarily that I needed to be abused because I had bad karma. It's not that. It's that the sad truth is that it's by overcoming wrongdoing 
you know, that we turn into these diamonds. And I know we've heard them all as cliches, but it's true. And so now that with this new perspective, knowing and understanding that we're each evaluated and we move to this progression of awakening based on our interpretation of events, how we interpret them, and what actions we take as a result of them. So, for but you example, see, I'm sorry. Finish finish the statement. No, no, no. Go ahead. Well, I was just thinking that these are powerful questions. Who are we? Where do we come from? Why are we here? And it sounds a little bit simplistic to say that we are where we should be at any given time. But when we see this planet, it's a it's a grain of sand. If you look at the vast universe or universi. It's important to ask a more advanced civilization, who are we? Where do we come from? Because I have a hard time believing that if we are this little corner in this galaxy, you know, some people may think that, hey, what you see above you is just a dome with a bunch of lights, almost like a planetarium. And we are told to believe that uh, those are planets. You know where I'm coming from here. And then we have the other that say that we are alone in the universe and we're this, this little figment in this corner of our Milky Way galaxy. Where do you stand? Well, you know, because my, ex- my extraterrestrial encounter experiences developed in me an ability to see beyond the veil and to go back and return to the interlife while I am still alive in this lifetime, which, you know, it's like having a near-death experience, but I didn't die because I was having, you know, flatlining. I was able to, I don't even, I don't even know how I was able to do it, but I returned to the spirit world again and again to see the mechanisms of what we are doing as spiritual beings, then, of course, you know, I can't help it affect my perspective because I saw what's happening. And what's happening beyond the veil is that when the body dies, we go back home. Home is not another planet. You know, even the first planet that we incarnated on is simply the first planet we incarnated on. It's not our home. Our home is the interlife, the place of souls, the place of spirits in between the physical life. And each of us is all different kinds of places. You know, we can go all different kinds of places, but most of us return again and again to planet Earth. When we are slated to incarnate on planet Earth for now, we will come back here again and again and again. Some people have experienced an original incarnation on another planet, which would be their original planet, but it doesn't make it their home. It just make it, makes it their original incarnation planet because their home is a spirit world. And they may have you know, memories of that. Or maybe they've had some Earth lifetimes, but usually... Because of the nature of planet Earth, it is such a severe planet because the spirit world is a place of thought. It's a, it's a world of thought, right? We're electromagnetic beings without a physical body. And we do have a spiritual essence, and we can take on the physical appearance of our favorite incarnations that we show to each other. So we're, we're not necessarily floating around like aimless um, wisps of light, although we can do that too. But those of us who are incarnating on planet Earth over and over and over and over 
are also with a cluster group who's doing the same and with our master teachers who probably did the same. So all of us are incarnating on the same place, and one or two of us may have had an incarnation here or there someplace else, right? By the way, that, that is what ties us to otherworldly beings. It's simply having had an incarnation on another planet elsewhere with another group of beings, and now we're getting together with them again here. It's like it's really not that big of a deal, although we make it a big deal. And so it's when we return to the spirit world, the interlife, when we are now, you know, we're not omniscient, meaning we're not perfect beings as souls. If we were perfect, there would be no reason to incarnate in order to grow. But we are omniscient in the, only in the sense that we, as spirits, recognize what the nature of reality is. And the nature of reality is, is that we all have, you know, we have many, 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 usually many, many, many more incarnations that are yet to come because spiritual evolution happens painfully slowly. And once or twice, you know, we will have one lifetime that is a real kind of a game changer for us. For me, this lifetime was very important for me. And we can know those lifetimes because when one is life turns upside down about 10 different times, well, you know, you're in one of those lifetimes where you're really pushing the envelope. So people who have extraordinary difficulties, whether those, just pick a category, it doesn't matter whether those are in physical health challenges or sec, uh, issues of sexual identity, such as being gay, lesbian, transgender, whatever. Um, you're a, a, uh, a person who has been victimized in one way or the other. All of these so-called trouble areas where there's acute trauma, either emotionally, psychologically, or physically, those are all basically, you know, those have been chosen in order to put oneself in the PhD program, meaning of oneself. One wants to gain self-understanding, and that's how you do it. Does it hurt like hell? Yeah. Hey, you ever talk to a, you know, a triathlete in training? You know, it hurts. They're rowing and cycling and, you know, swimming, God, whatever they're doing. It hurts as the muscles break down and they're building new muscle. It's painful. They're limping someday. Well, believe me, when we grow, it hurts. It hurts as the life is turned upside down. And particularly when we're coming together with other people who are hard on us or they're hurting us or they're banging us on the head emotionally or physically. But see, planet Earth is not just a, a, a experience of emotions. It's a physical world too. Some worlds are just, you know, there's physical difficulties to face. And other worlds, there are emotional difficulties to face. Planet Earth has both. I mean, it's something. We have it all. This is the, one of the most difficult assignments you can get. So to say that it's difficult is no surprise. In fact, it's the other way around. If somebody well, it's, has, like a, it's like a school, isn't it? It is. It is. But if somebody has a cushy life, you know, where they're born into wealthy parents, they're the only child, they have everything handed to them, and they've got no health problems, and they're just sailing through life... You know, you're describing a very young soul who's not yet ready to go to work. 
So it's so ironic because most of us are, uh, you know, so envious of people who seem to have it all. You know, they've. But what we don't recognize is that that's somebody who hasn't yet started their real work, or it's somebody who just came out of Auschwitz because they volunteered for that role. You know, let's say they decided to work with the children in the concentration camp. So they volunteered for that assignment to come in and be of service. Of course, they forget that when they're born and they're in there, right? But their soul knows what they're up to. And then they come out of that life and they maybe they they need to have an easy life the next go-round. The hell, they've earned it, right? But the point is that those people who are facing these tremendously difficult scenarios it's creating and producing the greatest growth possibly of your existence in one lifetime. And that's, you know, what we lose perspective of. And that's why I said earlier, you know, whatever amount of joy I'm experiencing today, it's only because through my heartache and trauma, bankruptcies, both financial, emotional, and physical, all the losses Oh, my goodness, from one end to the other, decade in and decade out, today I have the true perspective of who I am as an immortal being. And I wouldn't trade this lifetime for anything because without the absence of that, I would not have this perspective. That's let's, the way it works. Let's talk about some of the direct information that you've been able to accumulate from these interactions. Here's something I hear all the time. When a civilization evolves more technologically than spiritually, it ceases to exist, or at least it kills most of its inhabitants and the world they have created. And if some survive, then they have to start from scratch. And Lisette, I have a feeling we have done this on this very planet a number of times. What do you think? Yeah, probably. And, you know, I don't want, I, you know, don't wince when I say this, but look, planets don't necessarily last forever, but our soul lasts forever. There's nothing, there's no, there's nothing satisfying about a dying, you know, animal species, right? We're not, I'm, I'm not att attempting to kind of take away the pain of seeing what we're doing to our planet, but when we understand that the majority of the human population is in the beginning of their program, what else are you going to do? You know, if you set kindergartners loose and you tell them, okay, you know, you're going to be in charge of this continent and you little, you know, you Charlie, we're going to make you the, the president of uh, South America and you're going to be the president of Russia and you put five-year-olds in charge. You know, they, what are they going to do? They're going to spend most of their time bickering for the most marbles. That's what five-year-olds do. That's how they conduct themselves. And so that's what we have. We have the majority of the population is in the beginning of their program, meaning, you know, we're, 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 we're still young souls. And there's, you always know the age of a soul based on its characteristics. You know, as we oh, age, such as souls, well, as we age as souls, we start to have patience with society. We understand that 
you know, we understand because we kind of remember how we were ourselves when we were young and immature. So, you know, there's certain characteristics, and it's very helpful to almost keep a little list beside oneself. The characteristics, you know, of an immature and a beginner soul versus a more mature soul. And then one isn't, doesn't take it so personally, one. And two, you always know what, to, what you're going to get. You always know what to expect. But and I'm going to be interacting and jumping in. Forgive me for doing this, but when I think of, uh, as you say, the five-year-olds who are quote unquote in power, and then you have the old souls who are patient about it, I can't get in. I, I cannot help but become impatient when I see the way they are treating its people, the planet. Everybody, and then you know, not allowing technologies to come out, which are, which are available, technologies that could revolutionize the entire planet, to feed everybody, to provide energy to everybody. Because I know there's a revenue stream that's going to be jeopardized. I get that, and those companies are fighting for their survival. So I get their defense mechanism, but then how is it that the old souls are here watching patiently at that? Because each of us is, is assigned a project. In other words, we were not assigned as God, planet Earth. We're each assigned a project. How do you know what your assignment is? Well, look at your life. Our, our lifetime shows us what our project is. So, for example, we each have a little slice of something that we're attempting to kind of help humanity. And it's not usually a big, giant project, it, you know, like Gandhi's project. It's usually just, sometimes it's just being nothing more than being a caretaker of another person. And in that way, we have indeed left the world a better place because we've been of service to one person. So in your scenario, when we're looking at people who are fighting fighting, bickering, and striving for supremacy with each other, right? It brings us pain. And God, all you've got to do is turn on the, you know, the national evening news, and, you, and you, it just breaks your heart, right? You see, you see these scenes, and you think, oh, my goodness. You know, but when you recognize that based on our own individual life, what is my assignment to be responsible for? If, you know, if, I, if it was my assignment to um, bring new technology, you know, I might be born as Tesla, right? <laughs> I mean, you talk about, whoa. I mean, you ever look at that guy's life? You talk about someone who's, whose assignment was in, you know, bringing a new technology to the planet, and he's doing it in his own little way for right now. No, it's true that only the wealthy can afford his cars, for, for example. But it's a start. It's just step one. So for me, um, I recognize that I am, you know, we're all carefully evaluated. We're not given more responsibility until we demonstrate that we can handle and master the responsibility that we're given. So for me... Let's say I am a teacher. I'm not a teacher in the grammar school, but let's just say I'm a, a different kind of teacher because I write books and I, I kind of put forth some ideas to, to, for, for consideration. So it, 
if that is the case, then I take my own little role, as small as it is, and try, try to do it as well as I can. And I know that that's my assignment. So I can't fix the whole thing, but that's not my assignment anyway. So, yes, it's, it's kind of this, this amazing, beautiful, and torturous dichotomy is to, on the one hand, have compassion for those who are suffering. And every time one is placed in a position where one can do something to alleviate another suffering, we do it. All the time being aware that we're evaluated based on our own interpretation of events. And sometimes it's not black and white. And I'll give you an example. If you're aware of Al-Anon and the principles they teach in Al-Anon, it's, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I've been to Al-Anon meetings, oh God, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. But I'm well aware of the principles, you know, and the idea is that one, especially if they have a, an addict in their family, that one is always struggling with, you know, how much is too much help? Where do I help and where do I let go? Well, you know, that's a perfect kind of an example for, Others can use holding a kind of a um, almost a callous disregard for others' suffering and then say, I'm not going to help this person because it would be enabling them. So the line is not as distinct as we might believe. And each of us is evaluated based on our own interpretation of those events. Now, you may say, well, what do you mean evaluated? What happens in the evaluation? It's just about each of us. We're each growing, progressing along kind of a continuum of relative growth in which we master one set of principles and then we take on more responsibility. And it's always very satisfying to be able to do so, to be able to, you know, did you see that movie um, Concussion with Will Smith? No. You got to go see that movie, and you know. It, of course, it was. You talk about a total snub at the award ceremonies, right? So the movie right. was never even mentioned, which is extraordinary. But if you take the character, the Will Smith character, the guy he played, go see it and see it with an understanding in mind that there is a very mature soul. That, that whoever that guy, I forget the guy. I forget the guy's name that Will Smith character played. But there's a mature soul who came in to, in his own little manner of expertise, make some contribution to humanity. And in his particular case, it was just to shed some light on, you know, the risk of football players and head injuries. Well, I'm looking at the credits here. He he portrays Dr. Bennett. Omalu, a Nigerian forensic pathologist, but this movie was uh, produced also by Ridley Scott. So I'm surprised that I've never heard of it, really. Well, you got to go see it. Go rent the video and see it a couple times. Because watch the when you watch the character arc that this character goes through, it's basically every one of us who's wanting to make a difference, but we're assigned one little role. And so you see this character who goes through this life. He was born into a, 
interestingly enough, you know, in Africa, but his father is a wise elder in real life. So, mm-hmm. he, at, at, you know, at a young age, he's given some great wisdom that he takes forward into his life because he's going to need it, believe me. And then he basically spends the rest of his life doing what? He spends the rest of his life being invalidated. Right, because the NFL, I'm not going to give it away, but what I'm looking here, the NFL dismisses his findings initially, correct? But it's not just the NFL, his colleagues. I mean, it's everybody. And anybody who is attempting, most people who are attempting to do good in society come up against being invalidated to within an inch of their life. Well, that's the point that I was trying to 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 make cross when I said that I'm glad that you found some psychiatrist or a therapist that were able to listen to what you had to say with an open mind and and gave you a, a seal of approval stating that you were completely sane because most people who are trying to bring something that others do not have a perspective on, for example, I know people who have had devices that could propel us to free energy, to devices that could... Um, take salt water and make it potable water immediately, very cheaply. And all those people are ridiculed, saying it's impossible because we don't have a point of reference. Yes, of course. It's been going on since the beginning of time, and it'll continue for some period, particularly when you have a planet where, you know, 75 to 80% of the population, that includes all of the people who are in positions of power and authority, are in the early stages of their program. So what that means, again, is that we do the best we can with what we've been given and what, what we have and who we are, you know. But we, have, we take into account that whoever, whatever family we were born into, whatever situation we, were, we, we came into, there's great, great planning that goes into putting together a lifetime, meaning who we're going to be born into, our family of origin, our soul group, our friends, our family, And all of these little things along the way, you know, we're assigned one area to work on. And our job is just to do the best that we can. Hold it right no. there, because we have to take our one and only intermission. We're above for a couple of minutes. And what you're saying is that this is a planet that's maturing. And these people that are not allowing these, call them sort of free sources of energy, um, anti-gravity technology, you name it, is because they haven't matured to the point that they are serving to them, serving themselves as opposed to self-service to others. But, you know, I have so many questions that I want to dive into about your interaction with these beings, what you have learned from them, because one specific group lost their planet, even though they advanced technologically. For example, here's this question, and I'll get the answer on the other side. They said to you, They, that they don't carry weaponry. They only carry substantial technological apparatus that enables them to come and go as they please and facilitate all manner of physical healings with certain members of our species. And I'll get to your answer on the other side. How can people buy this book, Talking to Extraterrestrials, and you have another one that deals with a, uh, a similar topic, correct? Yeah, above and beyond. Just go on Amazon.com. It's so easy. And you can Google my name, Lisette Larkins, and I have three recent books. 
Excellent. You also have Difficult People, a gateway to enlightenment that we discussed on the other program. So anybody who's listening to us, go jump to Sanitas. You should be able to listen to that other show there as well. Folks, don't go anywhere. Much more when we come back with Lisette Larkins. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to VeritasRadio.com, click on Members, or subscribe. Or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, earthing and grounding products, supplements, USB drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, fulvic acid, full body vibration machines, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy! Every morning, I grab my donut and coffee and I sit down at my screen. Nothing gets me going like the possibility of knowing there might be an intelligent extraterrestrial message for me. Every day is the same. We don't hear anything, but we like to play Sudoku. Lately, we've been into live action role playing games. We know it's only a matter of time before we finally find intelligent life. Saying hi. Hi. Hello. Signal strong, tell us, what is your planet like? Well, all right. Have you cured all disease? No. Have you achieved world peace? No. Is your skin pale green? No. Do your spacecraft come with tractor beams? No. Do you wear shiny clothes? Rarely. What about long flowing robes? Well, actually, right now I'm in my boxers. Well, how many intergalactic languages do you know? Well, I did take French in high school. French? Hold on. Okay. Can you specify your exact location? In Canada. Canada. Broadcasting from my little shortwave radio. speak English anyway. <laughs> 